0: Pickle Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like a book or a TV show or a film or a record that they go back to again and again for comfort This time I'm talking to the author John Higgs John is a writer whose work I really enjoy. He covers a vast range of almost sort of unlimited cultural subjects, everything from ancient Roman roads to the idea of the KLF as a magical force in British culture. Um, And he's recently written about James Bond and the Beatles and their twin representations of Britishness and masculinity within the 20th century. Um, He's a really interesting bloke and really interested in myths and ideas. And he has chosen for his comfort blanket a classic. Doctor Who.
2: Halt. Turn right. Halt. Now. Exterminate. In fact, the weaponry has is-
0: agreed to discuss all of classic Doctor Who yes and we have about an hour starting now (laughs) (laughs) do we think this is too ambitious no I think you need to get the whole
3: of it I mean (laughs) it's the sheer implausible scale of the whole thing is very integral to it
4: no no they call me the doctor
3: this is Zoe Jamie and I'm the doctor I am the doctor
4: I'm the doctor how do you do you seem to be having some trouble here I'm the doctor
3: hello I'm the Doctor. I'm the
0: Doctor. This is my friend Ace. It makes no sense that it exists. You suggested this. We, were for a, a, we had a, cu- a couple of exchanges about what we could do. Mm. And then you said, well, of course I'd like to do Doctor Who, but that's un- unthinkable. It's impossible. I went, no, that's exactly what we have to do. Yeah. And this is partly inspired by some fantastic writing that you've done where you've, you seem to be unable not to refer to Doctor Who in your work. Yeah. And... <laughs>
3: pretty much every time i put out a book and i go and do talks people come up and said oh you sh- you should write a book about doctor who <laughs> <laughs> and I go, I've just written a book about William Blake. And you go, yeah, but you could do Doctor Who. <laughs> I've, re- I've written a book about this Roman road, Watling Street. Why don't, why don't you do Doctor Who? And I'm pretty sure it's because I can't help just put Doctor Who references into absolutely everything I do. But the thing with me, it's the whole comfort blanket thing, Like right? It is a complete switch off. Yeah. You know, whatever's been happening, I can just go and stick on some 1970s sort of Doctor Who, and that is just the real happy place.
4: Could be about the scarf. Madame Nostradamus made it for me—a witty little knitter—and
3: if I had to move all that into the work part of my brain to, to work <laughs> on a thing, it would be quite a loss. You know, I'd be giving away. Like, yeah, uh, I'm not saying I'll never write a book about Doctor Who, but I'm just saying it comes at a cost. You know, but
0: in a way, you're saying you have a use for it, and it's it's unrelated to work.
3: Yeah. And there's not many things that I have that don't sort of, you know, sneak into my work or something like that. Mm. The South Downs is another thing. I'll never write about the South Downs because I love walking on the South Downs. And it's I'm out of work head at that point. I'm just, you know, I, n- I don't want to contaminate it with, with work about it.
0: Some people use this phrase, that sleep hygiene. Before you go to bed, you shouldn't look at your phone and you yeah. should be in a, in a place where maybe you've read a book or you've calmed. And, you yeah. and I, it took me years to work out when I was living in small flats and things that I had to move where I worked. Away from where I slept. Yeah, absolutely. So you that idea of sort of, like, I know, sort of lying in bed with your laptop on your, on your, on your belly. Yeah. It's really bad for your brain because you never relax, you never turn off. Absolutely. You need to be able to turn your back on it sometimes and go somewhere else. And in a way, you're saying that sort of, Doctor Who being on the television means you're not at work. Definitely.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'm quite spry for my age, actually. Hi! Hi! Venusian Aikido, gentlemen. I do hope I
0: haven't hurt you. You can always ask someone when they first came across a film or when you first read a book or something, but with Doctor Who it feels sort of slightly more ambient. Do you remember what the first time you were aware of who was?
3: Yeah, I, st- I do, actually. I do recall the very first episode that I saw, <laughs> um, which was Pyramids of Mars.
4: If only I knew the exact physical location of Sutek.
3: And you have to remember, you know, when you're a kid, your world's quite small. Yeah. Right, like, you know your house... <laughs> and like, if you've got, if you're lucky enough to have a garden, you know your garden. Yeah. And if you're at school age, you know the school and like the shop and you know, yeah. relative's house and maybe a mate in the street. But that's it, right? That's that's the limit of your world. There wasn't, you know, superhero, science fiction, fantasy on, every, yeah, uh, or anything like that. It was just a quite small, normal world. And then at the age of four, I sat down and I watched the Pyramids of Mars, and uh, it was the bit where Sarah. Sarah Jane Smith, his his companion Says, Doctor, we're You know, in this English manor house In 1911 and all these Egyptian mummies Are trying to kill us Why don't we just clear off And we get in this time machine And just go away And then we'll be fine
4: Well now we are here, why don't you tune up 1980 And we can, well, leave And he goes I can't
1: Oh, Why can't you?
4: Because if Sutek isn't stopped,
3: he'll destroy the world
1: But he didn't, did he? I mean, we know the world didn't end in 1911.
3: Do we? And they get in the TARDIS and they go back and they open the doors and there's just, like, lava flows and it's just a devastation (laughs) of sort of a future-destroyed world. 1980, Sarah, if you want to get off. And he's going, if we don't sort out what's happening in that manor house in 1911, our current, you know, existence will be wiped away. And I was four. Right. Wow! I saw this when I saw I think that's why I, it made such an impact because there was my idea. small little sort of like, and you're trying to work out the world at that point. You're slightly winging it as a child in how things work and stuff like that. So to come across an idea that big, I'm
2: from 1980.
4: Every point in time has its alternative, Sarah. You've looked into alternative time.
0: One of the things that's interesting about Doctor Who when you watch it again now, especially classic Who, is that it's made by a lot of uh, slightly hassled, (laughs) grumpy, middle-aged men. And it's made by them cutting up with scissors loads of pulp science fiction that they liked. Yeah. And very, very similar to the way that 2000 AD was. But when you first come across it, you don't know that. Yes. It's the first time you've ever heard any of these ideas. Yes.
1: I see. This is like something by that novelist Jack, Mr.
0: Wells. <laughs> I remember reading, I think it was a Terence Dix novel, a Doctor Who novel or one of his books, where someone said, oh, back in the far distance past, there was a, a more advanced civilization than we have now. And I said to my dad, I was about seven, I went, this is the best idea ever. Why don't I went, I oh, have in loads of stuff. I'm remembering this now vividly because I remember being so gutted. Yeah. The Doctor Who hadn't had this idea first. But so many ideas that are absolute science fiction tropes mm. or forms sort of the furniture of me understanding fantasy yeah. the first time i came across them was through doctor who and the reason was because doctor who was shown to small children yes
1: <laughs> we're dealing with the supernatural the occult magic science magic
0: science miss hawthorne look whatever it is
3: how do we stop it
1: and how can we stop it without knowing what it is well done joe you're being logical at last. I'll turn you into a scientist yet.
0: And, and there was nothing else, really? Yeah. It, it, was, and it, was, it was play school, Blue Peter or yeah. this thing with enormous science fiction with ideas. or all, all of time and space.
1: <laughs> One more go. Haven't
4: you done enough damage already?
1: It's not me. It's a time rift. She won't respond to the coordinates. Yeah, let
4: me have a try. Just needs a little friendly persuasion, that's all. I have been friendly. Probably too friendly. I said a little friendly. Firm, but friendly. Watch.
3: You know, they would take, you know, Frankenstein, the, the man in the iron mask, or they would take all these existing stories and go, what if we did this, but we just put the doctor in them? Yeah. And, I, and, and it works so beautifully. And in a way, I always, I still feel it'd be great if they could be that shameless and I'd go, oh, we're at this school for wizards. And, and,
0: and, and, yeah. and here's the, you know. Which is sort of the way that children play. Yeah. Children cut up ideas. When you watch a kid playing with Lego on the floor, they yeah. go, a Batman meets the Simpsons. And they yeah. bash things together. That sort of free and easy attitude with like intellectual property <laughs> is how kids play, I think. Because the, thi- the thing
3: with Doctor Who, for me, an ideal Doctor Who story, yeah. it needs to, you know, it needs a situation, you know, and, and characters and a world... That are like good enough to be a story by themselves. It's like if you could work yeah. out a script that with it's not a Doctor Who script that's fascinating and brilliant, and then you just like throw Doctor Who into it to break it. Yes. That's how it that you know, that's that's the Joy of it. That's how it should really work. With a whole galaxy to explore, millions of planets, eons of time, countless civilizations to meet. Well, why do they object to you doing all that? Well, it, it is
0: a fact, Jamie, that I, I do tend to get involved with things.
3: Oh, you can say that again whenever there's any trouble, he's in it right up to his
0: neck. I think Stephen Moffat said that, that when he came up with, well, this, is, this is not a classic Who, this is New Who, but when he came up with the idea of Blink and the the, the, the Weeping Angels, that had been a, a screenplay he'd had in his desk for ages, saving as his best Hollywood idea ever. And when he ran out of ideas, he had to give it to Doctor Who, and he really regretted it. And, oh God, but that's my favourite idea. Yeah. Um. And I think there is that idea that it's an anthology series where you should be throwing in your, your film, your movie idea, yeah. and then seeing what happens if the Doctor meets all the ideas from your amazing science fiction novel that you were going to write. Stop our
3: power from wasting or it will be and that
1: Even if I wanted to, I don't know how it should eat your best
0: ideas it's a hungry beast i mean yeah. the thing that people forget about doctor who we can talk about the science fictiony things about time travel and the character but what it is in terms of television as mm. a piece of tv it's an anthology series it's the twilight zone it's uh, the x-files it's a load of ideas with a load of writers over a huge period of time so it's incredibly hungry it's totally unexpected every time you you visit it it has a new shape new Mm. new setting and everything so therefore it is ludicrously ambitious and wildly expensive and the worst idea you could ever have had for a television (laughs) (laughs) programme yes what's that for? Omega's using a fusion booster to build up energy to transfer. If we can attach this, it should knock it out of phase. I, I
3: think it's the best mind toy that there's ever been, really. I think there's tens of thousands of Doctor Who stories out there, if you add together yeah. all the audios and the comic strips and the, you know, the 800 odd episodes, a little fan fiction and, you know, the plays and the films and the animations and all that sort of stuff. The amount of people who just take the idea of this character and just turn it into stories, turn it into more yeah. stories. I don't think there's any other fictional character who has been used in that many stories.
1: The only reason you were brought here was to explain exactly why you stole my bracelet.
4: <laughs> ah, well, that's my job. You see, I'm a thief. And this is Romanus, he's my accomplice, and this is Duggan. He's a detective who's been kind enough to catch me. That's his job, you see. Our two lines of work dovetail beautifully. Very interesting. Really?
1: I was rather under the impression that Mr Duggan was following me.
4: Ah, <laughs> oh. Well, you're a beautiful woman, probably. And Duggan was trying to sum up the courage to ask you out to dinner, weren't you,
0: Duggan? I'm a huge Doctor Who fan uh, and have been since I was a kid. I don't do anything apart from canonical television. And it frightens me how much more there is. I think I've I've got a lot of stories in my head about The Doctor. And I'm nowhere near scraping the surface of how many have been written. And you've definitely spoken about this. It seems to be a thing that gets into your mind as a writer and you want to write about. I think it... it breeds writers.
3: I think it creates writers. I think as a kid when you watch it and there's a cliffhanger Destroy them Destroy them at once A dramatic thing happens and then it ends and you want to know what happens next and your mind starts going well it could be this, maybe this happened maybe this will happen and you start writing the, the story uh yourself and uh you know the amount of current writers and showrunners who talk about how so it was doctor who that turned them yeah, into yeah. a writer
0: and reading you know terence dicks and because uh... it's a serial i mean it's a serial i mean it's got that thing that, that is in common with sherlock holmes and with dickens and things it came out in in bits yeah and each classic who more than modern who Is four or six episode stories Mm -hmm. that are linked with cliffhangers. Every 25 minutes, there's a cliffhanger.
2: Dead, Roger.
1: Doctor, let's get out of here, please. All right,
2: let's find that radio first.
0: (laughs) And that cliffhanger is accompanied by the world's best noise. Yes. The most exciting. (laughs) The cliffhanger noise. (laughs) beginning of the Doctor Who theme says you are so excited mm. and you don't know what's going on very often because they're mystery stories they land on a planet and they're trying to work out what's going on and it won't quite make sense yeah. and it will end something disturbing will happen or something will lurch out of the woods yeah. and threaten the, the companion or threaten the Doctor
2: <laughs>
0: and instead of telling you where its it is it'll go and you run out and go I don't know I don't know what it is mm.
3: If you go on Reddit, there's this thing these days where uh, people make up leaks, um, <laughs> and occasionally there is a leak. Yeah. But when there's a leak, it's usually something specific. It's like, oh, I've I've heard like they're bringing David Tennant back, and everyone yeah, goes, "That's yeah. ridiculous! I'll never do that." It's just... But normally, <laughs> what you get is essentially people's essays about what they think Doctor oh. Who should be. But they pass it off as like, oh my sources are telling me this, blah, 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 blah.
0: But it really you can just see people trying to write their own sort of series. Cliffhangers are they're sort of frowned upon now, but they are a creative writing exercise. Yeah. If you go to do creative writing courses, or if you'd even did it at school, remember that it would say, here's the opening paragraph of a story, finish it off. Yeah. It's how as a kid, you're encouraged to you're given a springboard. Yeah. Here's the first page, now finish off. What do you think happens next? Yeah. Kids before they try and beat creative writing out of you, that's how you get kids to write. Yeah. And Doctor Who was that. I've got a bugbear about this. I think that the great failure of the new Who is there's not enough cliffhangers,
2: mm-hmm. and that the
0: really great episodes very often ended. There were two parters. A lot of them are classic the Doctor Dances and things. Yeah. They're classic two parters where for a minute you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And modern Who they'll tend to set a mystery up. Yeah. And then it will all pack itself down at the end, and you'll the Doctor will because what the Doctor does, the Doctor makes the scary thing safe. Yes. He sort of neuters, it cauterises the fear. Yes. And if you're a kid of 70s, 60s and 80s Doctor Who, mm. the fear was never cauterised. It would finish and you'd be really frightened. And then someone would say, do you want to go to bed later? <laughs> and what are you going to do in bed except lying back? I was thinking, about this. I was watching some recently thinking, you know what's the, the cliche about Doctor Who saying? We hid behind the sofa. Yeah. Not while it was on. Because they're men in rubber suits. I think even as a kid, I knew it wasn't that scary. And the thing about Doctor Who is its child friendliness, the fact that there's a hero in the middle of it who keeps saying to you, don't worry. Because the whole point of Doctor Who is he goes to scary places and sees monsters. The thing that you're not supposed to show to children because they scream and have nightmares and won't sleep. Because you can open a child's imagination by terrifying them if you want to.
4: (laughs) The thing is in metadramas, like, like Doctor Who, the baddies never shoot straight, do they? No. They're always threatening to kill you, but they always put it off. They say, we are going to kill you, but not just yet. <laughs> they always say that. They always say that
0: no, in and then I escaped. What scared me was going to bed later on, not knowing what was happening, mm. not having any answers, and the doctor being in danger, being in peril. And he was still in peril when I went to bed yeah. and would be in peril for seven days. Yeah. So I'd think, oh, how can he get out of this? Yeah. How can I get out of it? What would happen next?
2: You're finished.
0: You're finished. So your imagination got fired. Mm. And your imagination got fired like your amygdala got fired. You were frightened. Your your fight or flight response at the end of a Dalek advancing on someone was... <gasps> and so yeah. you'd have to write. You were almost like writing for survival.
3: Destroy her. Destroy her, that one. I think this is partly why modern writers get so much grief uh, and get so much <laughs> criticism. It's because everyone else is writing their own sort of version yeah. and it's different. So you're annoyed. Oh, in my version, they were going to bring back Frobisher or, so, or something like that. And because yeah. they don't bring back Frobisher. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, it's, it's sort of not. so But also at that point when you're talking about Um, It's all real right now we know the actors we know we know the producers we can name the writers we've seen the the backstage sort of sort of footage on the Blu-ray sets these days there's just hours and hours and hours every piece of information about how it was made and where it was made and you know interviews with the costume director and all that sort of stuff Um, back then it was just real. Yeah. You know, the suspension of disbelief was, was too tempting. We did. You might get an annual, a doctor Who annual at Christmas or something like that, but it, doesn't, it didn't ruin it for you. Yeah. It didn't go, it's not real this, you know, these people sort of, sort of made it. Are, baby. The Tardis. Have you, uh, have you ever driven one of those before?
1: No. Yeah,
3: you know, well, there's no time like the present. Now, whatever you do, don't
1: fiddle with anything. Otherwise, you might finish up in the fourth century. Come on, my dear chap, here we go.
0: I think that's what's really funny, and we should talk about this about Classic Who, that Classic Who is a thing now that if you watch it and you're a fan, yeah. it's unthinkable that everyone wouldn't enjoy it, because it's obviously, it's just terrific, it's the most <laughs> comforting and wonderful thing. If you're not a fan of yeah. Classic Who, if someone walks in on you watching it, yeah. it's so excruciatingly embarrassing to watch in front of people who are avid Doctor Who fans, because it looks terrible in every single department. You, uh, it's the thing that they, they mock in community when they're doing Inspector Space Time.
2: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the,
0: the worst, lowest-budget yeah. British studio drama with uh, shouting rep company actors and yeah. rubber monsters.
1: Robert, maybe this can be your new favourite show. It's a British sci-fi series that's been on the air since 1962.
2: Why, me, Inspector. Where have we wound up this time?
1: The question isn't where, Constable. But when inspector look out,
2: on. Randy, Kate. Randy
0: Kate. This is the best show I've ever seen in my entire oh life. My God. Everything everyone says about Doctor Who is 100% true, yeah, except if you're six, yes. <laughs> and if you're six, the agreement you've made because you've been to see pantomimes and you've read mm-hmm. books, your imagination's kicked in. The willing suspension of disbelief for kids is 100%, yeah, and they don't mind very often that it's a guy in a rubber suit and you can see the zip up the back. Yeah, Doesn't matter because you've accepted that you're going to be told a story and the story is the most exciting thing you've been told all week. There's a point when you're about 12 or 13 where you start to watch it and maybe take the piss a bit. Yeah, Which is heartbreaking. I remember being that age and going, oh, I'm taking the piss out of Doctor Who now. (laughs) I'm really enjoying it. I don't want to stop watching it, but when I go to the playground tomorrow, we're going to say that you could see that the Mirka was just a pantomime horse. Yeah. to admit that it's a bit crappy but when you're growing up it is totally
1: real
2: don't believe it it's bigger inside than out
1: yes that's because the tardis is dimensionally transcendental what does that mean it means that it's bigger inside than out
3: growing out of it though is an important part of it yes um because it's not just the doctor that changes Throughout, you know, the decades, it's we change every five years. A new doctor, we're different, and there is that stage where you know, in your early teenage years, um, where you're sort of forming your own identity, and you're sort of you're putting away that (laughs) kid that you used to be, and things that the kid liked, and you go that's kid stuff, and you 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 sort of yeah turn your back on like Doctor Who.
4: Killing you once was never enough for me, Doctor. How how gratifying to do it three times over,
3: and then. Years later, you're a bit more secure in yourself. You get this sort of ironic fondness for it.
1: Yes. My dear, I don't think he's as stupid as he seems.
4: My dear, nobody could be as stupid as he seems.
3: Then maybe a few years further on uh it's no longer ironic you just you just love it you just you have this mother's love for it you love what's good about it you love what's bad about it yes
4: yes let me guess
1: my theories appall you my heresies outrage you i never answer letters and you don't like my tie
3: And then a few years later on maybe you've got kids of your own and you're watching it with them so this is a whole new sort of dynamic and then you see your kids grow out of it and you see and you think ah but i know where this is sort of going it's a constant presence in our lives and what of you,
4: doctors? Do you claim immortality too? No, no, kind of no, no.
0: I know I like Doctor Who, and I know I was obsessed with Doctor Who as a kid, and I really like it. I like watching it now. I've always liked Doctor Who, and I got to a point of going, oh, I can't, I can't forgive how cheesy and clunky the old <laughs> one is. I'm trying to, but I know it's just nostalgia. I know it's unhealthy and weird that I that I would sit and put up with this awful clunky show until I watch one. Yeah. And as soon as I watched one, I find I've watched six. Yeah. Or eight. I did it last night. I thought I'll watch one just to get in the mood. And which, I was which back, did you go for uh nineteen eighty uh Key to Time Era Tom Baker. Oh, okay. bit of, of Romana okay. One and Two. Okay. I thought I watched Megloss which okay. is a 2 out of 10 in the Wife in Space review one yeah. loved every single second of it <laughs> Not, I didn't even watch like one of the great ones I watched one I thought yeah. I've forgotten this one I thought the doctor turns into a cactus no a cactus turns into the doctor yeah he, uh, it's an evil cactus villain so there's two Tom Bakers in it which is double the fun mm-hmm. um, and at the end of it I thought I enjoyed every single second of that uh, and I can't justify it because obviously but I loved every second of it and I don't think it's just nostalgia yeah I think it's because there is just something profoundly good about this programme
2: We'll be stuck here forever. Last, here we go again.
4: This may gossip bend time. Doesn't matter how it's done. The point is, the doctor doesn't get to Tigella. Oh, but he does, gentlemen. He does. We mustn't disappoint the Tigellas.
3: That was sort of the period um, after Star Wars came out. Yeah. When there uh, sort of became a gulf between what you expected things to look like and what the BBC were giving yes. you. The William Hartnell, that's just how things were. The yeah. tiny studio, it's like a play. They're doing it in one take. Yeah. And, that, and the, so the, forth.
0: That's uh, Edge of Destruction. They're literally lo- locked in the, a room. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of trams look
3: great. You yeah. know, for for the time Then there was the colour of early poetry and stuff like that Then sometimes, you know, you get the claws of Axos And you go, well, that does look a bit sort of ridiculous or <laughs> like But it was that sort of late 70s period Where inflation was going up and up and up yeah, yeah. And the budgets were just being squashed And certainly by the end of the series It was just like, well, we'll just get some hubcaps And spray yeah. them grey and stick them on the wall And that's Gallifrey <laughs> Uh, was that was the point when you know you go to the cinema and see Star Wars? Yeah, that's the point where it floppy walls and the, the embarrassing really sorted to solve.
0: That's the thing when when Victoria Wood does a piss take of it.
2: <laughs> oh, no. Who
4: is it, Doctor? I'm not very bright and I haven't got my glasses on. It's my old enemy, Crayola. Hello, Crayola. Doctor, it's been a long time. Eons. As long as that, you don't look a day over five million. How do you do it? Table tennis.
0: (laughs) You're right. It's not that Doctor <laughs> Doctor Who got small, yeah. it's that the world got massively big. Yeah. And suddenly kids were not suspending disbelief mm-hmm. as hard as they might have been because they've been spoiled by these astonishing ILM special effects. Yeah. Um, that episode, weirdly, I was cheering it. That's got the, the amazing motion chroma key where yes, the camera poses. which i read people going, it looks terrible. I was going, they can about tuppence. They can put the actors into models, and I thought it looked great. <laughs> and I realised I was doing what I always do with Doctor Who, which is I'm wishing for it to be amazing. Yeah. And I'm, not only do I want the Doctor to win, mm. I don't just want the Doctor to win against the Daleks. I want the production team to win against the limitations. Yeah. I want the actors to win against the, the tiny amount of time they had to make a science fiction thing on a children's show budget. It is a little show that could. Yeah, And I, and I love its ambition. And a lot of the time I am hoping... I'm hoping with all my heart that it will be as good as I hope it will be. All my
3: travelings throughout the universe, I have battled against evil, against power mad
0: conspirators. I should have stayed here. The oldest civilization, decadent, degenerate, and rotten to the core.
4: Power mad conspirators, Daleks, Tontarans, Cybermen. Still in
3: the nursery compared to us 10 million years of absolute power that's what it takes to be really corrupt. Well this is what the Disney Plus stuff is going to affect us. this yeah. is going to be interesting because the budgets by all accounts are uh, at least three times what they were. Shooty Gatwa who's absolutely a you know, real yeah, big yeah. Gen Z star. Everything is right everything
0: it sort of should be and I don't know, will it lose something? I don't think it will. It's a big enough property and a big enough like national myth. It is our Marvel. Yes. It's mean, clearly what the BBC have thought. This yeah. is our Marvel. I, mean, it's, I think, isn't it the same, isn't the same year as Spider-Man? Yeah, in, they, they get Spider-Man and we get Doctor Who so basically the, yeah. those great national myths of our heroes uh, our sort of slightly vulnerable heroes I love uh, the thing you always forget about Marvel is it's an invention of vulnerable uh, mm. and soft superheroes which is why I think it's still a, a terrific franchise to, to be doing yes. uh, and I think Doctor Who maintains that by being a very different sort of soft superhero you compared to Star Trek at the time
3: because that was yeah. the other thing but yeah. Star Trek was like the American military in space yes. but nice <laughs> yeah honest instead you had Tom Baker just sort of bumbling around the universe They're having a great time one more thing your name
1: what about my name
2: it's
4: too long by the time i've called out look out what's your name
1: romana Lunda.
4: by the time i've called that out you could be dead i'll call you romana i don't like romana
3: it's either romana or fred all right call me fred good Come on, Romana. There's a line in the, I think it's Horror Fang Rock, where he sort of walks into this this lighthouse and says,
4: Gentlemen, I've got news for you. This lighthouse is under attack and by morning we might all be dead.
3: <laughs> and he just grins at this <laughs> smile at them. He's just delighted about the whole thing. An apple a day keeps the... Uh... No, never mind. Because when I was little, there were, I had a real shortage of male role models in my life. Yeah, yeah. You know, my dad died when I was about three. I didn't have any male teachers until I got to sort of secondary school. Yeah. Uh, I knew boys, you know, I knew old, retired people. But working age men, there weren't any, right, in my life. Yeah. Uh, and you'd go to your mate's house and you'd sort of try and suss out what dads would like. because, And they just used to, like, sit in armchairs, And that's all <laughs> they would do. And they, there was nothing...
2: I've
4: seen you somewhere before. <laughs> that, I've seen you watching television. <laughs> and I've seen you
3: hiding behind a sofa. And I, I, re- I realised a few decades back that the most profound male role model in my first formative years was like Tom Baker as Dr. Wow. Who in the sort of impact it had on my life. Just Dr. Who make you
2: laugh. Yeah,
3: And I was, I was saying this to a friend of mine, um, a much-missed uh, friend, uh, a guy called Brian Barrett, who's this beat poet who died a few years ago. I was telling him this, and he nodded, and he thought, and he went, you are very lucky. Wow. And I, I think he's right, you know, I do think he's right.
4: Today, for example, I'm at a science fantasy exhibition out at Wembley Conference Room, and lots of children will come out to visit me, and that gives me such pleasure... It really does give me such pleasure, although, again, they're coming to see the character, that I can't really imagine immediately giving that up. I've never had a job that gave me pleasure
0: before. I was remembering recently what a huge deal Peter Davison was for me, and in Mm. his enormous underconfidence. Yeah. His beta maleness. Yeah. His depiction of anxiety and concern, and the idea of having, like, a space hero who was just really worried all the time. An incredibly um, unusual thing to have. Mm. And I remember thinking that was a really interesting and unusual male role model.
3: I'm definitely not the man I was.
0: Thank goodness. He was sort of fussed. Yeah. And it had gone from this incredibly charismatic, very sort of noisily, eccentrically confident man mm. to a man who just seemed to be, radiate concern. Not a sort of feminine, sort of motherly concern, yeah. but a sort of a genuinely male worry. Yeah. And I don't think I'd ever seen someone on television go, this is a hero and he appears to suffer from anxiety. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I found that quite liberating. I was just, I was remembering and going, I don't think that had been depicted before. It's uh,
3: another example of the the, the programme's willingness to embrace change. Yeah. Because when um, the producer at the time was a guy called John Nathan Turner, he took over in the last um, Tom Baker's years. And the, the programme he took over, it was like, you know, Tom Baker, Scarf, Jelly Babies, yeah. Sonic Screwdriver, K-9, Romana, uh, that Logo, that time tunnel, everything, that music. And he basically got rid of everything. He changed absolutely everything about it. It's the end. But the moment has been prepared for. And it was
0: such a radical overhaul. What other the program get away? But with. it's still him. Yes, it's not yes. like when you change Bond. Yes, which is another thing. So there's been a round phrase where you go, "Well, this is a, a, a franchise where they've changed the lead actor." Yeah, there's all these arguments about is this essentially are you changing the essence of Bond? Yeah, but weirdly, no one ever says you've betrayed the essence of Doctor Who. Yeah, the Doctor can be anybody. Yeah. The doctor can contain multitudes, and I think that was a, a thing that was that struck me as a kid, and maybe sort of now when people sort of talk about, especially for Gen Z, they talk about, oh, my identity might change, I might change who I am. Yes, because there was that brilliant thing where sort of the doctor became a, a woman, and everyone yes. went, this is terrible, and he went, oh, but the whole point was there was no essential doctor ever; doctor could be anyone, absolutely, because we all contain different people, and and that idea as a kid to be told. Well, you might be lots of different people as you grow older. You might be lots of different identities. You might not just be fixed. The mm. fluidity of that, which is just a casting and production thing, when something goes on for this long, it changes. It's an odd thing. If you like, <laughs> if, you, if
3: you, you know, if you look at say the big finish uh, audio yeah, yeah. versions of it, they've got this very sort of strict brief, which is like we're going to make a story that's as the story would have been if it was 1983. Yeah. Right. And they, they're, they're going to recreate that sort of era perfectly. And yeah. they, you know, fair play. They do that quite well, but it is completely at odds with what the, the program is. The program is change. Yeah. Constant change and change is necessary, but change is difficult. Yeah. And, uh, that, that tension that, that's always going on in there is what I think makes it so fascinating. <gasps>
0: Things that's interesting about Who as a as a series, they occasionally do little long story arcs, which are usually just.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
0: Looking for bits of a thing, that yeah. kind of thing, which will loosely connect like five or six stories yeah. or whatever. They'll do sort of these longer arcs, but generally, Doctor is always changing anyway because he turns up. Yeah. The Doctor will turn up somewhere. And for these four episodes or for this one episode, the settings change, the characters change. You can't bed in and get settled with Doctor Who. It's not going to stay the same. It is a restless show because mm. a new writer's turned up with a different voice, a new producer, a new director. The The, the sense of Doctor Who being uh, a victim of time, okay. as in it is long. The show's been going for, for so many decades that there's not been a single voice. There's mm. not been a single essence to it, apart from that it will always be changing. And a lot of those changes are quite radical. When they went
3: okay, what's this series? It's a guy who travels through time and space and is TARDIS. Okay, why don't we just put him on Earth? We have noted your particular interest in the planet Earth.
4: The frequency of your visits must have given you special knowledge of that world and its problems.
3: Yeah, yes, I suppose that's true. Earth seems more vulnerable than others, yes. For that reason, you will be sent back to that planet... Oh, good. In exile. In exile? You will be sent to
4: Earth in the 20th century, and will remain there for as long as we deem proper.
3: And for that period, the secret of the TARDIS will be taken from you. Uh, he hates violence and all that. Well, let's put him with the military. Chop with the wings there.
0: Five rounds rapid. The John Pertwee era episodes which are fantastic because mm. it's got a very different feel to it yeah, very much so it's got the energy of a sketch show is it's constantly changing and the point with that is you can't like all of it mm. and if you're a really really big fan of sort of unit and sort of military things and aliens trying to take over London yeah. you'll love the John Pertwee era mm-hmm. but when they suddenly go into space and everyone's got stupid blue hair you can't then go <laughs> oh it's not the show I signed up for yeah. you sign up for all of it absolutely and you can have favourite bits and bits you like less but you do sign up for all of it It's it is an anthology show it has got everything in it yeah you have to put up with the bits you don't like
3: yeah absolutely
1: Candyman, i don't believe you've met my young friend ace an expert in calorification incineration carbonization and inflammation i beg your pardon She's come to look at your oven
3: And it just beds into into your life and, you know, The Christmas Day thing the, yeah. way, the way it became a Christmas Day staple It wasn't a Christmas Day staple at all But it became <laughs> one And now we think, well, it's wrong that it's not anymore Because yeah. surely it has to be That's yeah. just part of it Who is
4: this? He's the Doctor
3: Did you miss me? For
0: the planet For the planet Doctor Who, Christmas Day at 7 on BBC One Well, it's such a strange thing as well that that if you look back at what Doctor Who is... There's nothing about it that's a children's programme. Yeah. There's nothing about it that means the family should gather around it. Because for, for the family to gather around, you'd go, well, we won't do science fiction for a start. Yeah. Because only some people like science fiction. We won't make it scary because yeah. little kids won't like that. It breaks every single rule of how you make something, the whole family will sit around and watch. And recently it's got to a point where you go, well, I promise you, no one will understand it. It'll be so arcane. The law will go so complicated that all that will happen is Gran go, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. It, it features nothing that should make it a big nation uniting hit. But it is one of our big national hits
3: Yeah, a a friend of mine I recall him, he'd been watching um, The Moffat Years with his mother And his mother had said Oh, I don't really like this anymore I like it when they just go into a cave and find some Daleks Yes (laughs) <laughs> and you can't really argue with that, because that, yeah. that, that was... it was, broke, was, don't fix yeah. so. it. Uh... But you must have some somewhere, surely. No, no, we shall have to get some from outside.
4: But
2: where? There isn't anything outside, but the...
4: Yes, there's the city. Yes, the city, of course. Of course, we're bound to get some Mercury there.
0: Yes, we're bound to. Well, I mean, what else can we do, Hmm it has changed over its time to be something which eventually had an incredibly complicated lore mm. it went from something where you could drop in and drop out which is how I used to watch as a kid yeah. it didn't really matter if you'd watched last week's episode you could probably follow what was going on the little recap yes. to something which required complete attention and was very very rewarding for long term fans and probably less so for casual fans yes, yes, but that's what it became for a bit it changed into one of those sort of shows absolutely um, and it did used to be going to a cave and find some Daleks <laughs> and maybe it'll be nice if that comes back because that is a great thing I certainly will I will absolutely welcome The Return of Cliffhangers if they do them again. Yes. Because I think what yes. you said about it inspiring writers I think the, the great loss mm. of Modern Who is the loss of that that storytelling where you had 15 to 20 minutes of mystery. Yeah. And then you went to bed and thought about yeah. it. Yeah. I'd really like that back. Yeah.
3: Definitely. The thing it does most efficiently is exterminate human yourself, beings. Huh?
4: It destroys them without mercy yourself, without conscience. Huh?
2: I am, your I, am
4: your I am your servant. I am your servant. I am your servant. I.
0: This is something that belongs to all of us. We've all grown up with it. A friend of mine who's a massive sport fan, and I said, I'm not a big sport fan. I said, I'm fed up having to understand sport or know what's going on. Yeah. To get to the back of a cab and I have to understand that there's a World Cup on or who's playing who, I've heard of them. I said, it's not the same for science fiction, is it? And he went, you will not believe the amount of things I know about Doctor Who. <laughs> I said, what? He said, I know the TARDIS is bigger on the inside than the outside. I mm. know what a Dalek is Know what a canine is. I yeah. know what a sonic screwdriver is. I can name all the actors. He had no interest in it. I ambiently have to know all that stuff yeah. to be engaged in our culture. Yeah, that's remarkable because that's not true of the X Files. No, where the general public don't know that stuff, and this puts mm. it up there with Star Trek mm. or Batman mm. as a thing where the the furniture of the thing is known by everyone. Hey, everyone,
3: yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is. The it is the the you know the British myth of the TV age. Yeah, and it, it has that um, because nobody really invented it. There's this, there's, this, there's this long period of a few years where the BBC are going, well, we, we need a programme for Saturdays, but we should also do something for. Because the whole point of the BBC is they have to do something for everyone. Yes. But they kind of, they're not everyone. They're a very sort of set type of person, especially <laughs> sort of back in the 60s. And they very much look down on science fiction. Yeah. You know that was not for, that was not for you know thinking mature civilized adults in yeah. any way shape or form. And so to do this program, they thought, well, we should do something. So they commissioned all this report into the state of uh, you know science fiction and what was happening into it. And it, all it's not like they go, oh, we'll do a comedy show. What's comedy? We'll work out what <laughs> comedy is. It was this weird sort of um, hodgepodge of people feeling that they. They should do this sort of thing. And then this, you know, Canadian producer, Sidney Newman, came in with this desire to, to be popular and things yeah. like that. And then you got Verity Lambert, uh, who's very young and it's very rare to have a female producer yeah. at that sort of point, who was sort of given this misshapen baby, you know, uh, and said, do, you know, do something, do something with this. No, none of the proper producers would like, you know, yeah. this sort of nonsense on their plate. You go and deal with it. I wanted the doctor to have two sides to his personality, or more if possible, but mainly to to be able to be authoritative, but at the same time kindly, also unpredictable and and perhaps uncontrolled in certain ways. I suppose in the way the doctor was almost a grown up child. I mean, he had those kind of qualities and certainly not under any circumstances, part of the
0: establishment.
3: There's no J.K. Rowling or Arthur Conan Doyle or J.R.R. No. Tolkien or sort of master creator in there.
0: Yeah, list. it's not authored. It's yeah. not showrun. It, it, it seems to have be organically been shaped by the weather inside television centre. It's yeah. sort of eroded. <laughs> by, so as people walk backwards and forwards with files under their arm, yeah. this thing sort of takes shape yeah. in the middle it, like, a, like an act of magical creation, like they've yeah. summoned it.
3: It sort of emerged from the gap between many people's minds, <laughs> essentially, because yeah. it just—it's almost like it just wanted to exist. Yeah, that's how it strikes me, and that was the sort of way to sort of come on through.
2: you desiring in the darkness, you shall find it. Don't let me alone. Light,
4: light.
3: talking earlier about how it just creates writers yes in in terms of evolutionary sort of adaptability to be able to create the the very thing you need to survive is the peak you know this is this is pure evolution this is it will survive this is an organism that will survive outlive us that's for sure
4: we
0: are equipped to survive we are only interested in survival
4: that will not affect
0: us. Russell T Davis said that said the someone said how long do you think this is going to last yeah. when, when it came back and he said look it'll people will get bored with it yeah. it will get dropped the same as it was he said but this is Robin Hood yeah this will keep being told we will tell this another generation of kids who are bred by my show yes will then turn up and they'll want it back yes you're right it breeds writers it's no coincidence that one of the best books you can ever read about writing is Russell T Davis's the writers Tale, oh, absolutely which is just that massive yeah. wadge of emails mm. sent backwards and forwards during production because if you want to understand what writing's like don't read what someone said after the uh, yeah, event yeah yeah you want to read how lost and depressed and desperate and excited someone is in yeah. the middle of writing yeah. and that came out it wasn't called the doctor's tale yeah. it's called the writer's yeah. tale it's a manual for other writers it's a it's a way of passing the virus on to another generation
3: definitely and uh, well, you know we are we are shaped by um, you know terence Dicks an awful an awful lot yes. them, but those target books yeah. back in the 70s people of our generation i'm talking here yeah a chap called richard henwood joins a small firm called tandem books and they want to start a children's range, which they call target ones. Mm. Who is owned by the BBC? Because it was created by people working for the BBC, and it's in-house copyright, as we say. So he got permission from the uh, BBC to do it. He then turned up at the Doctor Who office and said, I need more Doctor Who books immediately. Who's going to write them? And never having written a book in my life, I said, I will. I said, thank you agree?" <laughs> uh, when the, you didn't uh, have it on BritBox, you didn't have the DVDs, you didn't have it on yeah. UK Gold, there wasn't the VHS's out. It was broadcast once and gone forever, essentially, yeah. except in the book. So the books yes. became how we remembered it. They became the, the, the true story. And they had fantastic production values in our imaginations. And in those days, if you missed the Doctor Who, you missed it. I mean, you were just never going to see it again. The target books took the place, as it were, yeah. of the shows that people have missed. That was the only way you could
0: recapture it. Well, I remember getting obsessed by Doctor Who when I was about that age and thinking, oh, there's all these old episodes. Yeah. And looking them up and buying the magazine and they talk about them and they became mythic. Yeah, that, but absolutely. But then if I wanted the stories, I could go and get them out and they were portable. They fit in your pocket. Incredible ownership of it. And those books, as you said, the production values are astonishing in those books because they fire your imagination. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that means when you actually watch them and you go, actually, I've got to push this up the hill a bit.
2: Yeah. Because <laughs> I can see that's that's
0: not really a silicon-based life I'm attacking. It's it's a man dressed as a stone with a light inside him. Yeah. It's just not good. That's a guy covered in bubble wrap. This is some flower pots in a pile. But you're always having to engage your imagination to yeah. watch Doctor Who, anyway. Mm-hmm. Classic Who. That exact part of the imagination is fired by reading the books, yeah. and then you imagine in your head how amazing they'll be. <laughs> but the target versions were the versions, the idea the Platonic ideal yeah, of what that show would be.
3: Absolutely.
0: Just touch these two strands together, and the Daleks are
4: finished. Have I that right? To destroy the Daleks, you can't doubt it. But I do. You see, some things could be better with the Daleks. Many future worlds will become allies just because of their fear of the Daleks. It it isn't like that. But the final responsibility is mine,
3: mine alone. Just the fact that there was, you know, 10, 15 years of... Stories before now, yes, was mind blowing because yeah. at that age, ten years was like the uh, age of the universe. That was a that was an unimaginably long period of time. And you've when you've been in, around for eight years, yes, your life was eight years. And this is bigger. This is bigger than your entire life. It existed. It ha- does become that sort of mythical.
0: It then puts it alongside King Arthur and, and Robin Hood yeah. and Sherlock Holmes, are these great characters that appear to have been around. Forever, But to be told, there's so much more. That's why there's Big Finish. And that's why there's yeah. uh, people writing uh, novels and spin-offs. And, and that's why at the end of every episode, just the, fra- just the phrase or the idea, to be continued, yeah. which is what the cliffhanger system gives you. What do you think is going to happen next? Can you guess? And all human beings are prediction machines. Yeah, That's how we exist. That's how we perceive the world. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen next? Can you guess that's how a joke works?
2: Look, Brigadier, Look!
0: Well, here we go again
3: And what's, I think, really important about it is it doesn't lose that eye on the young child That, that no. sort of that sense of adventure I mean, if you, I mean, if you watch something like Andor, right? Yeah Now, I saw Andor and I very much enjoyed Andor And rationally, I will go, oh, Andor was superb uh, dialogue and script and production values and design and casting and acting and all these things were very good. Yes, these are very good. But the back of my mind is, is going... They've made a Star Wars series, but not for kids. Yes, And that just feels like wrong. They've Turn turned
0: up, shouldn't have Star Wars because it's, it's not for them.
3: Yeah. It's <laughs> a drama. They've done it. It's, it's not yeah. adventure. You can look at kids stuff and go, oh, it's simplistic and it's black and white and all these sort of things. And often it is because it's for kids. But the sense of adventure. Yeah. Like that is not just for kids. No and that is something that I do think it is good for us to sort of keep hold of that sort of that a level of possibility in adventure that isn't there in sort of drama.
2: Yes, it all started
3: out as a mild curiosity in the junkyard. And now it's turned out to be quite a, a, quite a great spirit of adventure, don't you think? Turning something into a sort of serious, worthy drama, I think it gets talked of as, as, as being better. We fixed like it. Like it's <laughs> like we've added to it. Yeah. But often something's been lost. Yes, totally. Something is totally better. And if you look at, say, Star Wars, like the first Star Wars film, probably, yeah. that is George Lucas's life sort of turned into a creative act. It's like growing up in like a small town sort of California and he takes his entire life and he's generated a thing with it. He's created a thing and it has a sort of, um, as an act of, you know, imagination. Yeah. It is profound. But all the other films
0: are about the first film. Yes, totally. You know, this happens with Doctor Who and Star Wars with these big fancy franchises. When they're childish, the older fans go, that's rather childish. And you go, you know why you liked it in the first place, mm. and the thing about Doctor Who is, I think, because it's constantly reinventing itself, it's constantly playful. Do, which bits do you want to smash together from the Lego set of things we like? Yes, we've got a big grab bag of bits. What goes in this one? When Doctor Who becomes about itself, yeah, becomes about its own mythos, does that thing where it's just referring back to how it was in the past? It loses a lot of its vigour. Yeah, it should I think be a so. grab bag of stuff. Yeah, and it should be an embarrassing, gleeful grab bag of stuff. It should be cool. Yeah, it should be some of its best moments are when. They do an episode called uh, Mummy on the Orient Express yes. <laughs> or where you get horror of fang rock. The ones with the really silly titles are yeah. often really good. Definitely. It, all, it always
3: seems to sort of stumble and suffer after a big celebratory anniversary, because in those um, celebrations, it sort of becomes
0: about itself. Yes. It mustn't look at its feet. Yeah, it's got to. You talk about it being something like a like an organism that that replicates itself by creating people who want to make more of it. Yeah, it sort of eats you up, and you go, "I want to write more of that," and then you'll be the next generation of people who will service its needs. Yeah, and it will keep going. Those people are children. They're they're full of wonder, and they're they're not cool, and they don't know the history of it. Mm. There's a great moment when it came back, in the first episode when Russell T Davies brought it back, and uh, Billy Piper turns to Christopher Eccleston and says. Where are you from? He says, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I'm pumping the air, going, brilliant. Yeah. Because I know where he's from. Because yeah. I I grew up and I watched it. But the kids watching it don't need to know. Absolutely. And it says, your guess is as good as mine. Mm-hmm. Whatever you come up with from where he's from, when you draw it with a crayon on a bit of paper, you make it up. The inspirational thing is when it's saying, what would you like to mix together? He can go there. He's yeah. got a machine that can travel in space and time. You want to do a Romans? We'll do Romans. You want to do a, a planet that's got all cats in it, we'll do that. Yeah. We'll go anywhere you want. And it says, this is all about possibility. Yeah. And the possibility is a blank page.
3: Yeah. absolutely. And if you're, you know, a writer had to come up with ideas for Doctor Who or to pitch ideas for Doctor Who, it's essentially pitching anything. Yeah. It's not like, oh, right, I've got to write an uh, episode of Coronation State. Well, I've got these characters and yeah. I know the relationship, so it's got to fit in with that. And you sort of,
0: it, yeah. there's a lot of uh, structures that you sort of work around with. Anyone can bring an idea that's as good yeah. as anyone else's idea yeah. and they can drop it in. And, because the format has been so loose and has changed so much, it will yeah. roughly fit in. And it's lovely when it refers to its past. And it's lovely when it does that. And the little fan nods are always really joyous, but they're never the reason it's at its best yeah. when it's doing that. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the
3: exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. It was certainly, I think the very first time I sat down to write something, I was about nine and it was a Doctor Who story. Brilliant. And it was called Doctor Who and the Perils from the Past. Whoa. And I had thought, what if we just got like all the monsters together, right? <laughs> at the time, you sort of think that's a really brilliant idea. Yeah. Now, it's very different sort of, you know, coming up with the Daleks or the Master to saying, what if we put the Daleks and the master together? You're sort of playing with the existing yeah. sort of bits. It's, it was very much... Um,
0: That's why fan fiction is, is, is so tempting, is you be, you're given a play set.
3: Yes. All the figures are already in exactly. there. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. Um, but for me, I was thinking, oh, no, I've come up with this brilliant sort of brilliant thing. And then I wrote the first page. And at that point, I thought, oh, I know what I need to do now. I need to draw the cover. So I abandoned writing the book because drawing the cover was the most important part of it. I wish I still had that cover.
0: (laughs) I remember something about this era and being this age. When I used to watch things, Star Wars was the same, Doctor Who definitely, 2000 AD, the things I was mad into when I was a kid. Yeah. What they had in common were they're all science fiction. So you think, well, what you're really into is the fact that it's a fantasy world where anything can happen. Yeah. And you like space and robots. No, what I liked was I could see that people have made this. Mm. Because the thing with science fiction is none of it really exists. So that special effects guys have to build everything. Yes. Nothing's off the peg. No one's turned up for work in their actual clothes. Yeah. So there's a real sense of people making something, putting on a show. Yeah. And because of that, I used to think, oh, I can see people have drawn this. I can see people have typed yeah. this. There's a feeling of a bunch of people who are making stuff up and they make things. I want to be them. I don't want to be the doctor. Yeah. I don't want to be Leela. I don't want to be K9. I don't want to be the hero. I want to be the person making this, mm. and I think that's what you're talking about. About it, it creates writers mm. and directors mm-hmm. and special effects guys and things, because visibly something's been made. Yeah. And with Doctor Who especially, before CGI and things, it had thumbprints on it. It was like yes. Wallace and Gromit, where you can see the thumbprints in the Blatt scene. You could see that was a squeezy bottle. So when on Blue Peter they showed you how yeah. to make a Dalek out of a squeezy bottle, you yes. went, it's got a sink plunger on it anyway. That's right. We want you to design a monster that's tough enough to beat the Daleks. It can be any shape or size you want but it must have at least one deadly secret weapon that's never been used on Doctor Who before. The thing people mock it for is the thing that makes it seem accessible, and I think excited my mind as a kid. And do one on a piece of paper about this size. That the spaceships that Matt Irvin made were made out of airfix kits, yeah. it's in bits of tank and things on them.
4: And I'm afraid we won't be able to send your designs back, but we will be looking at every single one, and also Doctor Who himself
0: will actually be helping us to judge the winners. It seemed incredibly accessible.
3: Because he, he would turn, as Matt Irvin would turn up on Saturday morning television
1: Yeah, show how it was and
3: done. go, I've built this thing. And you just think that, that happens.
1: Has this one, was this one in the first
3: episode? It wasn't, it was on the titles, but unless you knew what it was, you probably missed it. It was coming straight towards camera and straight away from camera.
0: That's a job. People do that thing. And it might inspire you to do it yourself and make your own books, make your own models. I used to make them out of Lego and things. The inspiration was because clearly someone was making this stuff. And so your re- reaction wasn't to necessarily to rush into the garden and play at being Doctor Who. Mm your temptation was to play it being someone who made Doctor Who books. Yeah. And and that's, I think, really, really inspirational in a way that maybe you'd look at the slickness of a Marvel series and go, well, oh, I couldn't do that. Yeah, there's that accessible side to it, definitely. You were allowed to see it being made and mm-hmm. see that people had made it to the extent that it became like a cliché about explaining how all the, the Doctor Who things were made out of squeezy bottles to the extent that sort of Fry and Laurie could do a sketch taking the piss out of it. This was one of the stars of an episode of Doctor Who. Uh, this was one of the uh, darks from the Watay galaxy. Oh, well, it,
4: it was the Wondark spaceship, wasn't it? Because the... was,
3: Yes, that's right, it was the spaceship, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, yes. The, the Wondarks were played by packets of silk cut. That's right, yes,
0: <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, I don't know if we can get a camera in really close here. Can we have a look at this? I don't know if you can see that, but this is actually made out of an old squeezy bottle. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I know it's sort of... Gives away the illusion of it, but it's amazing to see what they can do, isn't it, really? And you wanted to go, I know, <laughs> but I'm doing I'm doing the clever thing of seeing past that. Mm. In the same way, it's like, like the mean kid at the theatre who goes, it's on a wire, okay? Can you just pretend that Peter Pan's flying? Can you engage in the magic of this? Because the only alternative is that the BBC go bankrupt making a children's programme. <laughs> On the budget they've got, it looks pretty good and I can mm. follow the story. And everyone involved is really committed. Yeah. From the, from the actors down, everyone is doing their best.
3: Yeah. And you don't want to say to the writers... No, just put it in a room. Yes. Yeah.
0: Don't do sapphire. You want a I mean, spaceship? Yeah. I love for... sapphire and steel, mm-hmm. but I don't want to have the rules <laughs> being that it's on a studio set. Yes. And I love the fact that that makes a really spooky thing. But, yeah. I mean, sapphire and steel lasted a couple of weeks, and this has been going for 50, 60 years. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can do anything. You can try anything. Reverse the polarity.
4: I just reverse the polarity. Reverse the polarity. I've reversed the polarity. It's reversed the polarity.
3: It comes back to the values of the thing. Yeah. It is essentially... It's not the establishment voice. No. He's wandered away from yeah. the, the, the proper way of doing things and found a better way. You know, his, his values are um, having a good time, yes. you know, seeing interesting things. One
4: well, the time, he to be very angry, I'm furious.
1: You mean you're deliberately choosing to go on the run from your own people in a raggedy old TARDIS?
3: Why not?
0: After all, that's how it all started not an agent of something he no. doesn't work for someone he's not a policeman or a detective it's very, very hard sometimes in a in fiction to get your lead character to do anything yeah um it's one of the things that Douglas Adams had a huge problem with with hitchhikers you can't make them do anything because they're having a good time yeah he's a doctor Who <laughs> he's brought those values over and go, oh god i've got a load of brilliant like layabout characters and none of them will do anything yeah the doctor can do what he wants and it's very hard to make that then the story that he could, because he could walk out any time. The only thing that keeps him there is he's good. Uh, it sort of
3: fits in the sort of grand tradition of British folk heroes who are subtly different to say, yeah. say American folk heroes who are, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, Bonnie and Klein or, or yeah. the mafia. or um, they like a villain. Their heroes get away with the money. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the general gist of it. They pull a fast one. And they get money. You know, if you look at Robin Hood or, you know, Sherlock Holmes or Doctor yeah. Who, it's there's none of that. There's no, it's all just for the, the greater good. Because I can do anything. As from this moment, there's no such thing as free will in
4: the entire universe. There's only my will because I possess the key to time. Doctor, are you all right? Well, of course I'm all right. I suppose I wasn't all right. Now, this thing makes me feel in such a way I'd be very worried if I felt like that if I was somebody else feeling like this about that. Do you understand? Yes. What do you understand? That the sooner we hand this over to the White Guardian, You're the better. better.
0: He's not doing it for the money. He doesn't need the money. Yeah. He's doing it because why not? Yeah. There's, it's a big universe out there off we go he's essentially he's doing it because
3: he's alive yes and the whole point of being alive is to be
0: interested and engaged
3: and to have enthusiasm
0: because they've got a machine they've got this brilliant idea this this budget saving machine that can Mm. go anywhere by just materializing yeah well who would own a box like that or someone who wanted to see everything yeah have you ever thought what it's like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension have you there's a weird thing
3: in in the British storytelling tradition. Most, if you look at the legends and myth and folklore and stuff, especially across Northern Europe, the world was very much divided up into, like, our world in the middle, uh, you know, where the gods are above, and uh, the underworld. And the underworld was very much important. And that's why J.R. Tolkien talked of Middle Earth. It's that middle level of the three. Midgard. Midgard. That's all that sort of thing. Uh, Very, very common way of seeing the world with the dead at the bottom. If you look at British myth, it's weirdly absent. And obviously, it comes in with the Vikings and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. They don't have the underworld. They have the other world, which is like a kind of a wonderful place. It's not the land of the dead. It's the land of golden apples. Uh, it's Avalon. It's Anwin, it's, uh, wow. it's 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 a place you stumble into, and it's brilliant. Let me get this straight. A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard... It can move anywhere in time and space. Yes. Quite so. But that's ridiculous. And the fact that it's brilliant is the problem because, um, you know, you may stumble in for a day, and, but really it's been yeah. a year in your life. It's 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 tricksy in that sort of level. And the
0: way in is always just, it's just almost random. It's like, it's the Narnia wardrobe. I was about to say, we've got a box here. Yeah. The, the comparisons, the C.S. Lewis comparisons of going into a, the wardrobes bigger on the inside than the outside yeah. has got antecedents. <laughs> I was very struck by john's mention of an other world a timeless place that you enter through a portal to reach a place of sort of endless possibility and particularly struck by suddenly realizing that the police box was basically the wardrobe from c.s lewis's narnia books and the walk across the road to the pub after we would recorded this john who's a man obsessed with coincidence and pattern in life and how we can read meaning into it told me an amazing fact that C.S. Lewis died on the 22nd of November 1963. And the first episode of Doctor Who went out the very next day. The dynamic with with the Doctor, who has often got a companion with him, Mm. is the question of how long will the companion stay. Yes. Which has to do with the actor's contract and who's interested. Sure. But narratively within the story is how long, bearing mind, there's no time and they can come back at the moment they left. Yeah. How long do they want to stay in this other in world? this other world, yeah. Seeing all these things. And the doctor's temptation is always to say, come with me. Yeah. Not come with me if you want to live, not a sort of term yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, Come with me if you want to live, if you want yeah. to see. If you, your life at home is mundane mm. and you're in the ordinary world mm. and you live, Russell T. Davis wrote it perfectly, you live in a council estate and you've got a crap job. Yeah. Do you want to, in no time at all, expand your brain by seeing everything that's possible and the other element with this is do you want to come and it will be enormously dangerous yes <laughs> but i'll keep promising you you'll be fine
3: where are you off to
2: back a suitcase
3: oh good give me a couple of minutes and we'll be off
2: off off where
3: well Metabelis 3 of course
2: i'm not going to list 3
3: why where are you thinking of going to
0: well, South Wales, of course. Mythically, it's a really strong message to children saying, you've got to be adventurous. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't see anything. Yeah. And it's not
3: work for the man. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not sort of obey the system. It's just, it's just, It's as you say, it's just live. It's just yeah. experience things. And, and
0: one of the things that happens to the Doctor as a mythic character is he, in inverted commas, can't die. Mm. He can live a long time. He mm. has lived a long time. What's interesting about him is he's not got a limited span. So you think very often when you talk about people who are sort of immortal, like gods, yeah. that they go, well, they're, they're very jaded, they're sort yeah. of listless, and they play with man. The Doctor is as engaged as someone who's got, like, two weeks to live. Yes. He's got the energy <laughs> of someone who is mortal. Who go- And he's, he comes and he visits mortals and says, please, for God's sake, come with me and see everything. Yeah. Because I know you've not got very much time. I've got infinite time. Yeah. I'm a time lord. Yeah. What's the one thing we have as humans? We're locked in time. Yeah. He says... What would you do if you could see everything? What an amazing... To say to kids who maybe don't even realise they're mortal. say, the most important thing is you have to just go out there and look at things.
3: Yeah, and it's not like, well, you need to get qualifications and then you should get a mortgage and then maybe you could move up to your chosen profession or anything like that.
0: Who'll land places and they've got incredibly rigid systems. Yes. In place, like religions or cults or a way of doing things. And he goes, I'm not interested in that.
3: Yeah, I'll I'll just break that and then go... (laughs) I
4: think we've been wrong about Chase up till now. What are you? Will you just shut up a minute, please? You said Chase went outside and actually took photographs of the crinoid. And came in apparently unharmed. You mean he's actually infected? Or possessed.
0: We're talking about it like it's something from Doctor Who, like it's a monster, like it's a a thing that possesses people or feeds off people, or people feed off that there's a sort of ritual thing that it's very odd that the way we talk about Doctor Who as a culture Mm. is that we don't want it to stop. We don't like it when it stopped. No. Even if no one wanted to watch it. Yeah. If no one was interested in it, the the strange thing that was happening sort of towards the end of Jodie Whittaker's tenure where I think people had sort of got a bit fed up with it. It had become very very taken for granted. But if you'd said we're going to stop it, yeah. the sun would have had a campaign about it's it. Would be furious. It's furious. There's going to be a gap year. People yeah. are furious. And even if they don't watch it, you want to know it's there. Yeah. It seems to perform a sort of ritual function. It needs to be there at the centre of our culture. Bigger than a television programme. Mm. Bigger than even a myth. We just need to know it's there <laughs> in oh. case we need it. That's
4: the point, group captain. It isn't even remotely human.
0: You talk about the meme sphere. That yeah. that some things, some ideas mm. need to be there, need to live.
3: Yeah. It's like when ideas get um, complicated enough, they seem to spark and become alive in some way, you know, when they become rich enough and complicated enough. It's very, very hard to define what's the difference between something that's alive and something that acts like it's alive. <laughs> but You'd be a braver than me if you could, definitely say what the difference was between that. But there's a kind of spectrum. At some point we go, oh, those things are alive. They they grow, they change, they consume, you know, they they, they do all the things that being alive is. And you can sort of point some rocks and say those probably aren't you know yeah. alive. And there's a big sort of continuum. Somewhere in there, there's, there's ideas that are so rich and so complex that they do all those things. They do evolve and they grow and they change. And they sort of create the necessary conditions for them to keep going on and keep going on. This is certainly what Dr. Who sort of does. Yeah. It's very hard to define why it's not a living thing.
4: Try and understand one thing. The crinoid is an uncontrollable carnivore. that's getting bigger and more powerful by the minute.
0: That's such a magical idea. Mm -hmm. And I think that explains why our relationship as a culture with it is different than it is with, uh, I don't know, the professionals or even EastEnders, yeah. long running <laughs> programs don't feel like this there's definitely something genie like about it <laughs> it's just it's
3: trapped in a, a blue box rather than a yeah, little yeah. golden lamp <laughs> but you know it'll sort, of, it'll sort of keep bursting out and grant your wishes back when I was in my pre writing days when I was doing the animation and I did this thing with uh, Tom Baker narrated. And obviously, you come out of the sound studio, you're in Fitzrovia or Soho, you go to the pub. So, uh, one of my happiest memories, my favourite memories, is just going to the pub with Tom Baker. <laughs> you don't tell him what it all means, but you yeah. buy him a pint. That's yeah. that's the sort of British way. So, I was at I was at the bar at this, uh, it was um, the Yorkshire Grey in Fitzrovia. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a Sam Smith's pub. So it's yeah. all Sam Smith's. So it's not the normal things. So you have to have a little bit of a conversation about yeah, yeah. what things are when you get it. And uh, the bar sort of goes around a corner and there was a guy the other side. So it just so happened I was in exactly the right position. I was standing there with Tom Baker. He was trying to work out what the drinks was. I looked up and there was a guy with a pint of lager on the corner around the bar just as he looked up. And he saw Tom Baker, right? Yeah. And the expression that came on his face, I still think about. I'm obsessed with the expression because the expression was not, oh, wow, there's that guy off the telly. Yeah. It wasn't, oh, there's a celebrity or, oh, there's someone I'm a fan of or there's like a Hollywood star or or something like that. It was more the expression of wandering into Narnia. It was pure awe Tom Baker as an individual is brilliant and it's great, but it wasn't Tom Baker that he saw. No. It was, it was tied to, he was about the similar age to us, so it was probably tied to that part of his childhood. Yeah. Um, moment he was least expecting it in the most mundane sort of old trad London boozer. Yeah, yeah. Just that glimpse of the other world sort of came in.
0: What that man's seen mm. isn't an old actor who's mm. a heavy drinker in a pub. Yeah. He's seen that and that's in common with all those actors all of them, whether you liked them or they were your one or not, mm. the casting in Doctor Who is really good. All mm. of those people look like they belonged in another dimension. <laughs> they didn't even belong in a science fiction series. There's something about them. They're not Buzz Lightyear. They're yeah. not Captain Kirk. Absolutely. They're the wrong guy for the part Absolute. all the time.
3: Absolutely. They're
0: eccentrics and they're weird and they don't fit. So just like the blue box shouldn't be there, yeah. that guy shouldn't be at the helm of a science fiction show for children. They all looked a bit dangerous, and that thing about the blue box being wrong—yeah,
3: because it's always wrong. That, that at the end of the very first episode, where it's in this sort of prehistoric landscape and a shadow falls oh, to it, and it's but it's a great 90, shot. its an amazing shot. It's so wrong. It's usually, it's a bit of a skewed sort of angle. Yeah, and now you know in nineteen fifties. Police box is just wrong, but that's the only consistent thing in the entire story. Everything else has changed. You watch William Hartnell; he's not a time lord from Gallifrey with two hearts. There's none of that exists. You know, it's it's everything else has changed except the wrongness of the portal to the other world, and it's just that is always there. That is always with us. That's an alien world out there, Joe. Think of it.
2: I don't want to think of it. I want to go back to Earth.
3: And as a kid. It's plausible, right? Because you I remember being very young and I think walking home from school and I'm thinking, well, the universe is pretty much infinite. There probably are people out there. And if there are people out there, then yeah, they've probably got advanced technologies and there probably are people who can like travel about. Yeah. In time. So it's quite plausible that there is something like a TARDIS. So it's quite plausible I could turn the corner now and see, you know, the TARDIS and be invited in to sort of go off and have those adventures.
1: Before I was stranded on Earth, I spent all my time exploring new worlds and seeking
3: the wonders of the universe.
0: But you don't know what's out there. Then let's find out. It tells you that there's potential, and it tells you that you're not a fool for suspending disbelief. Yeah. In an infinite universe, nothing is possible. Yeah. And what that's saying to you as a kid is, is you've probably not thought of this before, mm. but you could go anywhere. Mm. You could do anything.
1: Don't you want to set foot on another world?
2: Well, yes, I do, but I... Good.
0: In that sense, you said the word adventure earlier on. Yeah. It's an adventure serial, and the adventure is anything.
1: Yeah. Come on. We'll just take a quick look around, and then I'll try and get you back to Earth, all right?
0: All right. What an amazing thing to tell kids. Yeah. No wonder it blows their minds.
3: We should should probably thank every single person who's been involved in creating it over this this last 60 years, because it's, you know, it's much appreciated.
0: What a wonderful, wonderful thing to talk about. Thank you so much for suggesting Doctor Who. Thank you. My pleasure, my pleasure.
4: I must have made quite an impression.
0: Presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe.